1: Welding instructor, Alex DeClaire, knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
2: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
3: Welcome to Just The Sip. I'm your host, Justin Sylvester. All right, there is no denying that 2020 has been a wild ride from start to finish. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic. JTS came through with some deep conversations and our guests have had much to say, much to laugh about, much to cry about, and left us gagging left and right. And although they have all been incredible, we've pulled together some of our most unforgettable moments. So grab that glass and get ready. Of course, you know, I got to start with my favorite topic sex. I love it when my guests aren't afraid to get a little dirty. Mike Johnson delivered on the deets on A Bachelor's Bedroom Secrets, and Michelle Buteau had us rolling talking about the D. You have got to check this out. What color is your smash blanket? <laughs> Because I had a debate. Oh, I was God. having a debate. I was having a debate. Let me, let, me, let me tell you my debate. Let me tell you the debate. Let me hear the debate. Let me hear. <laughs> so I was talking to this dude. He's straight. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got a new smash blanket. He goes, oh, what's a smash blanket? And I was like, what? And he was like, what's a smash blanket? I'm like, yo, it, what are you talking about? It's a blanket you put down before, you know. He's like, oh, that must be a gay thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. That, no, no, that's not a gay thing. Everybody <laughs> has a smash blanket. Mike, do you have a smash blanket?
4: I would say I have sheets and my sheets are white. <laughs> 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 that's hilarious, that's
2: hilarious. I oh will I'll give you
4: this. I'll give you this T though. I'm 6'4", right? 6'5", on a good day. So when I purchase a bed, the bed has to be like a certain height. And if no one knows what I'm talking about, use your imagination.
3: Okay, Vanessa, fire up the jet. We're going to mother Austin right now. <laughs> like, can you separate, like, okay, look, I met this girl on Instagram. She's popping. She was on two seasons of Love and Hip Hop, the booty big. I'm going to, like, I'm going to have some fun with it, and then I'm going to ride out. Or do you get conflicted, and does, do the lines, you know, get crossed a little bit?
4: When I like a girl, this is crazy. This is like some super I'm liking this combo. when I like a girl and like I'm so, I'm so beyond her looks. But I like her personality. I like her heart. I feel like she could be my lady. Mm-hmm. The dick just won't work. Yeah. First. Like it, I'm, it's like it, I, I was told by a urologist that it's my defense mechanism and it's weird.
3: It's not weird at all. It happens to a lot of people where yeah. you don't want to f- it up. So yes. your mind tells you that your thing a lang don't yes. don't get up because you'll yes. ruin
4: it. Yeah, exactly. It's the craziest thing. See, this is dope. You're going to get like the most hits on this because no one talks about this stuff. Like, this is a real yeah. life right here. No, it's true. And
3: by the way, it's also a mind it because is. when it first happens to you. You think to yourself, "Oh my God, something must be wrong with, with me. I'm impotent. Like I can't blah, blah blah." And then you keep on putting it off, and you keep on putting off the research. And then all of a sudden, you get in your mind. So like, you're now like going in circles. And every time you get nervous, it's gonna happen again. But the minute you meet a, a smash box, you're like, "Oh shit. yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing here. Like, there's no emotional connection here. I can just like you know hit this and run." <laughs>
4: It's, it's weird. It's it yeah, it is what it is. It's it's because like, we still have a sexual urge, but then we're creatures that are our brain literally protects us. Right. And so we don't want to get hurt. And so therefore, when we have someone that we're so into, it does its own thing. We can't control it.
3: Sometimes you dudes aren't very honest with women about what you really want.
4: So let's talk about that. I'm, I'm no, no. let's
3: talk about that because yeah, let's talk I, got about fewer, I got some fewer questions some yeah, of these I'm, ladies out here in Texas say that you're not being honest
4: so, ain't nobody said that so, <laughs> like, ain't nobody said that I've, I'm so honest that someone has told me well just lie to me please I'm like really? The fantasy. if we're talking about just doing that let's just be transparent, honest adult consenting people and don't get mad or neither party get mad when my honesty comes to fruition, right?
3: Do you ever see yourself having something that's not the traditional situation? Because you seem like a traditional dude.
4: Um, I seem like a traditional guy. I don't think I'm traditional at all. But to that question, it's up in the air. I mean, if I get with a lady and she's not with it, then then we're not going to do it. But if I give with a lady and she's like, let's try something, I'm like, yeah. okay. I don't give a damn what someone would say, oh, Mike. Is doing this i'm like me and my old lady happy so we happy you know? we and good what?
3: i get a lot of my prudy girlfriends who i told back in the day you know like like you can't just be boring all the time like you need to like you need to experience like if, if you're gonna be married for 10 years by the time you're 35 like you got to open up you gotta open some up okay and i don't mean i don't mean open up your relationship or open up your marriage. You just got to be willing to do some of the nasty things that you turn your nose up at 24 mm-hmm. now that you're 36. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of my little prudy girlfriends being like, Hey girl, my man wants to try to like, you know, do it from the band. How do we, I'm like, all right, I'm saying the manual. The
4: band, I want to say for all the ladies that hit you over that, that want to do that. Don't let your man just like go full throttle. Like there is like, you are the lady, and so therefore, if, if you are open to that, and if you want to, if you, you need to tell your man, if you want to do this more than once, then therefore he needs to listen to you, ladies, and under, he needs to understand this ain't a porn. You you control your body; don't give a damn what he wants to do. And so therefore, if if you send them the manual, they need to take instruction from the manual.
3: Please welcome Michelle Buteau.
5: Hi, I. You know what's so funny? I am a fan. I am a. F- what? What do you like do? being a woman? I love being a woman. Like, let's be honest. I don't have a choice. Like, you know, I feel like I am born in the right body, which is a f-ing gift. And yeah. this feels like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, it's taken me a good while to, you know, navigate the world of, you know, misogyny and the patriarchy and shame. And that's why I have an essay in my book. I uh, Survival of the Tickets called um, Game of Hoes because I was really religious when I was growing up and I wanted to wait till I was like married to have sex. And then both guys cheated on me. And so I was just like, you know what? This is time to like do me. And thank God I did because I orgasmed the first time I had sex. So I was like, this is amazing. I feel empowered. Which is um, unheard
3: of. <sighs> Who was this white man?
5: <laughs> I don't know what he was. I think he was like, he was like a Sephardic Justin Timberlake. He had something going on.
3: You better give him a good rating on Angie's list, honey, because if you had an orgasm the first time that you went up in there, how old were you? Oof.
5: I'm going to say like 18, 19. I was a late bloomer. I was a late bloomer considering I had like a full woman body at like 12. But you know, to be honest, good for him. But it was really about me because I allowed myself to do whatever the fuck I need to do in his Honda Accord in the parking lot of the Cherry Hill (laughs) Mall.
3: Not a Honda Accord, a four door. Oh no, bitch! Come on, it was was leased. It was a two door. That was the mother in car back in the cut like if you had a two-door cord or if you had a honda prelude you were i know trust me i literally watched (laughs) your special i'm telling everybody i'm gonna drop this special about twenty five thousand times in this damn
5: podcast
3: love but i watched your special and the one thing that i like i was dying over was that you talk about dicks in front of your mama
5: yeah she is who she is
3: But she was like sitting there, like if this bitch is gonna go about these motherfucking dicks right now.
5: So many things to say about that. First of all, my mom is conservative. She's a quiet, biracial Jamaican Catholic woman, and so growing up, where she would like straighten my hair and cover my freckles to take me to church and be like, "Don't laugh so loud. Don't stick your chest out." I'm like, "I'm standing up straight." is wild because now you know, for her to be like, "I came to America so you could be you," I'm like. I like, dude, you know what I mean? So it's like very wild, but I felt like stand up was always like a safe place for me where it would never get out. It was like my secret, you know what I mean? My secret time for ownership. And you know, Wanda Sykes and Paige Hurwitz, um, Pusher Productions, who produced a special, amazing women have done Last Comic Standing, amazing. Tiffany Haddish's uh, special, um, They Ready, Fortune Femesters, like they know uh, female empowerment slash stand-up comedy, like, next
6: level. Yeah.
5: They did not want me to have that second sucking joke in there. And I said, you guys, since the beginning of toying, I have always been about people accepting each other's bodies, and um, especially for me, sucking that d-. when, Especially when you're married, I'm just, I've never thought I'd spend so much time in someone's crotch. I'm just there. <laughs> you sure know what I mean? I'm not a doctor, but I am there. I see his crotch more than, like, my family and so i'm just like we got to keep this joke and and Paige, to her credit was like if we keep this joke i'm gonna do a pan to your mom i said okay do it and so when i saw it i was like this totally encapsulates like all the things i was like yes bitch this is what it is because she's silently happy my mom you know what i mean i'm a good person
3: did you always want to be a mom
5: i always want to be a mom i want to be a boss and a mom before i ever want to be a wife like I didn't even like think about having a partner. I was like, no, I'm gonna have like that Josephine Baker, that Angelina Jolie. I'm gonna have a career. I'm gonna have yeah. some kids. So yeah. it's so nice I found a good person through a one night stand. So that's why I'm just like, open your mind, open your heart, open your legs.
3: But how old were you when you open your mind, open your heart, open your legs?
5: Well, I started doing the research at 24.
3: And when did you finally get your PhD? At 30. <laughs> That's not a bad run, a six-year run. That's not bad. That's
5: the same as a real f- a
3: PhD. Now, if you live for reality TV as I do, then you love a good read, a shady delivery, and people just being real. Well, no one got more real this year than the Real Housewives of Potomac. And because, you know, I like to get all the tea, I got a firsthand account of the physical altercation between Monique Samuels and Candace Dillard from them both. A wine tasting went down, words were exchanged between you and Candace, and then all hell broke loose. Yes. Take me back to that moment whenever you blacked out. What do you think caused that in you?
0: Oh man, I actually learned, (laughs) I had some childhood triggers that I did not realize I developed over the years and that were harboring within me for a very long time. And actually this is the first time I'm actually speaking about this. So you're getting some inside scoop right now. So I've had many therapy sessions after the fight. I I started out with two therapists and then- Was that your first time seeing a therapist? Yes. Wow. So because of that issue and because of that incident, it actually allowed me to seek therapy from a professional therapist. I usually will like counsel with like my pastor or my godfather who everyone has uh, seen on the show. Um, But this time I I wanted to take it a step further. I said, I want to find somebody who doesn't know me, who's going to be completely unbiased. Not saying that they were, but um, I just wanted someone who didn't know me to just like really dig deep and help me figure out what caused me to get to that point. I do want to say, when I say the words that I blacked out, that was the best way that i could describe the feeling that i felt it was almost like my body was still moving but i was just like not there um and then moments later days later everything started coming back certain pieces were coming back to the point where i wasn't sure which order of events happened um but i will say that for me when i was in my therapy session she said what was the moment that caused you to go from laughing and joking to serious And I said, when she swiped her hand too close to my face and she said, why do you think that was such a an issue for you? And I I said, I don't know. And she said, "Okay, let's think back to your childhood. Um, Were there any moments in your childhood where you can remember people putting their hands in your face or anything like that? I reflected back to a moment where um, I was actually beaten up by a little boy who uh, he was a year older than me. He was a grade older than me. And he wanted me to be his girlfriend. I'm in first grade. And I'm just like, no. And he starts slapping me in my face repeatedly, repeatedly. A bunch of kids rush over and they're watching this whole fight. And nobody thinks to break it up. Like a boy is like literally beating me up. Um, so that was one moment. And she said, OK, let's go deeper. She said, do you have any people close to you that you look up to that would put their hands in your face or bully you in any type of way? And I said, you know what? Yes. I said, my dad, that was actually the way he parented. He was very much yeah. a person that would stick his finger like right in your face. And what I say, you know, and yeah. And as a child, you can't do anything about it. And in that moment is when I broke down in that session and my therapist was like, okay, now this is starting to make sense. Why something that seems so small and insignificant to other people is major to you. She said, it's almost like that five-year-old, six-year-old Monique just jumped out and said, you are not going to put your hand in my face. And that yeah. was the thing that I said. That was literally what jumped it off for me was when that hand swiped in my face, I said, hold on, get your hand out my face. Get your yeah. hand out my face. You need to back up. And that's when it got serious. So um, it's not even about making excuses or excusing anything. I really wanted to investigate what my triggers were, what would cause me to get to that point. So now that I'm more aware of what those triggers are, nothing like this will happen again. I learned so much being on this platform. Um, It has revealed some people who have been in the circle, my husband and I already have a very tight knit circle. So Mm -hmm. some of the people within our circle, it showed their true colors because they got so excited about the TV and so excited about the platform where they made it about themselves versus supporting my husband and I. So it actually was good for us to see who those snakes were in our own camp and then expose the other ones that have been on the outside or, or the outskirts of our camp as well. As a person, I've grown so much, just learning how to, uh, you know, deal with the criticism or negative remarks to the point where it doesn't bother me. I just respect your opinion because you're only developing that opinion based off of a few seconds off of an episode, you know? So just growing to that point where you can be that secure within yourself. I started out a very secure person and now today I'm an even more secure person. So, um, so I, I, I look at everything as a blessing in disguise. I'm all about turning negatives into positives. And that's what I've been doing since I've been on this platform.
3: Candace Dillard Bassett is here with us
1: today. How are you? Ciao. I'm here. Okay.
3: In your wildest dreams of doing this show, did you ever imagine that you would be in the middle of something this crazy?
1: No. The answer is no. I think the sentence that you just said, I have said that to myself and to my family and my friends a million times. I and if I mean people who know me and who can gather who I am through the TV will know that there is no part of me that is a fighter. I do not fight. That is not what I do. I was not raised. Never you thought it raised to fight. I was not raised to scrap in the streets. This, this is not, this is not my legacy. I don't do these things. Now, what I will do is give you a good verbal lashing. Okay. Yeah. I I will do a backhand spring across, across your face with these words. Okay. I'm a verbal acrobat. That I'll give you that. This vocabulary will get you together. And that is what I thought we had signed up for on our show. This is, you know, no shade. Cause I, I love my basketball, go- basketball wives, girls. I love my love and hip hop. Love them. This is not that though. This is not that. And it never has been. And if I ever thought that this was that I would have been, I would never come onto this platform. I didn't, I didn't sign up to be a part of, not that anyone has ever approached me for living hip hop or basketball wives. For a reason. Because I don't fit. You're not the demographic. Way. You're not the mix. I'm not I'm not out here trying to scrap with nobody about nothing. Nothing. Unless I'm fighting my husband over our food cuz we fight over food all the time. But unless I'm fighting over a biscuit, no. I'm not I'm not fighting. So this took and that's that's the mind of it all. This took me so far left of what I saw for myself and where I saw myself being in life and what I saw happening for me, that it just, I, I couldn't, I didn't even know my name for a while. Wow. I was just like in my house, like looking at the walls, like what the f- happened? Like, how did this happen? How did we get here? and all of the crazy things that were being said about what happened i don't i don't know how this is for you or for other people but like when you know the truth of something and someone is telling an alternate version of the story and Killed you can't you. defend yourself kills you thank you it kills you it sends you into Depression, anxiety spirals because you're, you're not in control. You are being made to be this person that you know that you're not. I know that I can be loud. I know that I have a mouth. I know that I will punish you with my words, but that's what we all do. That was the game. That's the game. Y'all are not watching Housewives to see us kumbaya and braid each other's hair and drink wine all day. That's not why you guys are watching us.
3: 100%. But the thing that I have tried to stress to people, because at times we get into this debate at work about people needed to move on or milking. And I'm like, you guys, this happened a year ago. So you go through that traumatic moment and then... You have to wake up the next morning and try to process it, not only for yourself, but for your family. Mm -hmm. And then when you think you're getting over it, you then have to hear about it on the blogs and have to process it again with the comments in the blogs. And then when you think you're over that, you realize that a year later, you're going to have to have three million people weigh in on what they think happened and yep. why this happened and whose fault it is
1: this completely obliterates the dynamic and this is now part of our legacy and that is hard to to swallow in stomach and it's not fair that we are now living in infamy as this group that has you know been a part of a very public very violent very crazy public physical altercation I hate that that is what this comes to. And I don't want to you know, place blame anywhere, but I hate that it went there. I hate that it had to go there.
3: This year, we also had some difficult yet important conversations that needed to happen. The Black Lives Matter movement dominated 2020 with powerful messages of diversity and inclusion to truly push things to change. Man of the Year in my book, Sheriff Chris Swanson, put down his gear and marched in solidarity while Brandon Kyle Goodman continues to fight for the movement. Seeing you take your gear off and walk with protesters, what made you do that? What was going through your mind at that moment?
7: Looking back at that video that you saw, it was because I love people. I saw the hearts, I saw the pain. I've been watching it all week. And uh, when I saw the first fist bump in the crowd and a mini hug, I said, that's it. We can, we can listen to what they're saying. And so there was, I I love to say I planned it. I love to say it was all scripted, but it really wasn't. I just knew a helmet and batons. Those are barriers. And we already have enough of that in the world today that if we put that aside and we show our vulnerability, not as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of strength. And that's what happened. I saw the first brother come by and I gave him a big old hug and I said, bro, That guy is not who we are. These cops love you. They will protect you. I love you. And he says, tell the people. And that's what started. And then the second question, when I asked, what do we need to do now? Did you notice that the group that wasn't organized yet, they were together, they almost answered in unison, walk with us. Because that's Uh, all they wanted. They want somebody to listen to them. And that unity together, that that was beautiful.
3: 100%. And look. It's so interesting that you bring up that, you know, cops are our friends and that we can rely and trust on one another. But let me ask you this. You obviously saw the video of what happened to George Floyd as a cop, as a sheriff. What was going through your mind? What was your first instinct?
7: The second before George Floyd was even contacted, then that police department, that sheriff's office has missed it. Yeah, If you don't see that the race relations in policing and community relations in policing is the most vital thing you can do right now as a police officer, then we can teach anybody to answer a 911 call. You missed it. And that's why I say it is a culture change on our end. And what we did in law enforcement is we laid down our swords. Yes. We engaged in the community. And we turned it around. We made Flint, Michigan, a history. And there was people on the other side. You had Quan uh, Adams and Jeff Hawkins and Mr. Franklin from the protesters. Yeah. If, yeah. And I never, you know, they had to be the same. Pe- they had to receive the message. But who had to take the first step? The police. And so my, yeah. I can say it because I am one. Is our burden to set the stage, to lay down your swords, even with all the chaos? This country is reeling really in pain. It just came over a pandemic. We have scared people at home. We have cultures. We have lifestyles. We have people that, that are scared to express themselves. This is America. Yeah. Assembly, expression. Your right to do these things. And where it becomes. So I'm just telling you, I think love covers all. It is a sign of strength in my book. It has got me more than anything else. And that's what happened that day. It was glorious. Flint, Michigan made history.
3: Chris, I'm telling you right now, you better you better run for governor, a mother. Okay, Brandon, Kyle Goodman, actor, writer, activist. And now he is your auntie who's giving you the word, Brandon, (laughs) welcome. The first video of yours that I saw was entitled To My White Friends. And I thought to myself, oh, but you took this approach of talking to people slowly and calmly and comfortably. Why do you think people needed to hear that message in that way?
2: Listen, I think that there are a lot of voices out there, and I think that different voices hit differently. And certain people, like, you know, some people need tough love. Some Mm -hmm. people need to be coddled. Some Mm -hmm. people need a little space to process. And so I think that some people just needed a quieter space to process. And I think they just needed to see exactly what was happening in the moment. I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes as Black people, we, in order to move in white spaces, we will suppress our trauma to show up so they can be comfortable. And I think that that, for me, started to do a disservice to to my mental health and probably to the people, again, it was to my white friends, not to white people in general, but to my white friends to like not really know exactly what is going on. And I think that that was just about, this is where I'm at. I think there was something they were able to connect to and be like, oh, there's pain. That's pain. Why is my friend in pain? Let's start to ask the hard questions.
3: Let me ask you this question because I, you know, I move in white spaces, as you know, I'm on E, which is yes. a predominantly white network. And, you know, I deal yeah. with white ladies in Beverly Hills, but a lot of times by other black people, especially on Twitter, I get accused of making the conversation um, with white people too comfortable for them. And I just want to make them feel comfortable. Why can't you just tell it like it is? And you know, da-da-da-da. do you ever get those types of comments?
2: You know, I've been fearful of those type of comments because I don't want black people to think that, like, I'm coddling white people. I haven't seen that yet, the the response. And I also, to be very honest, try not to venture too far into my comments because I don't I don't want it to deter me from doing what I what I want to do and Ooh. what I want to say, because I because I know you got to know your boundaries. And my boundaries is I do care about what people think and I do care about. My the perception that I put off, and and that's my work that I'm you know going through, and in yes. my therapy and perfectionism and all that stuff. So it's just better for me to not go too deep. But so far, you know, the black people have been that have been in my comments have said thank you, and the white people have also said thank you. So we're good. Now we do have some disrespectful folk, you know, that we have to, you know, gather up. <laughs> yeah, we gather up. We <laughs> we
3: gather them up. We have to gather them up because it's crazy. Because you know, I often say this, and you know, I work. Nina Parker and I have the same goals in life. You know, when it comes to this movement, we want people to know, we want people to listen. And for us, we have two different approaches to it. Sure. Her approach is right on point, my approach is right on point. They're just different. And I think sometimes for myself, I get the hate in my comments because I am softer than her, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. she malcolm x i'm nancy pelosi you know,
2: <laughs> like, you know what i mean like it's I mean, I they're like, all of value that's the thing like that's what i what i what i wrote on my page too is like black people are not a monolith we are allowed to respond and react and handle this however we want to and there has to be a myriad of voices we can't just have one type of voice it's not going to hit everybody if we really trying to if we're saying we're trying to make a global change and a global shift. There's gotta be several different types of voices so that you know some people take it with a little more sugar. Some people like it a little more bitter and the message is the same, Black Lives Matter, period. We're all out for the same thing. And you're right, this is going on and now we
3: cannot, cannot deny that we know about it because we all have Instagram, we all have heard it. It was like, oh my God, the Lord, the
2: Lord. The Lord. Well, you you also had to wake up, and I think the other side of that too, as black people, is that we were also dealing with the pandemic. On top of being black and the struggles that come with being a black person in this country, we were also dealing with the pandemic, which was also taking lives. And then you had to deal with this reality that we were mm-hmm. still also being killed in the streets. Something that we already knew was happening, but then it, mm-hmm. it, it kept happening. And I think for me personally, it was like, all right, I can't be nice anymore. Like I can't try and make people comfortable. We can't, we can't not talk about this thing anymore, because it's some bull, right? Like at the at base, at base, it is bull that black people have to fight to say our lives matter. That's us. It should not be a debate. We shouldn't be debating if racism exists, if it's bad, if it's good. Which that's what people be doing on Twitter. Like, is it? Like, what do you think, honey? It exists. It's been existing. You are a part of it. We are all inside of it. It needs to go. Period. At base. Now, now let's move forward from there. One hundred percent. Finally, you know, finally, the country is like, oh, it does exist. You're right. It's like, well, yes, honey. That's what MLK said. That's what Frederick Douglass told y'all. That, that's what James Baldwin told you. And we've been, we've been, we've been, we've been, we've been saying
3: it. Yeah, but it was we've been saying it. They just haven't
2: been hearing it and nobody they haven't been listening <laughs> they haven't been listening but well you've been conditioned we've been conditioned right to like not consider other people to only take care of what's yes. happening in your yes. space and to not think about what's happening outside yes. of your space
3: Another social issue that is near and dear to me for obvious reasons is the importance surrounding the LGBTQ plus community and why they should not be forgotten or ignored. Bob the Drag Queen and Angelica Ross discuss the important roles allies play in the fight for equal rights and dignity. When you hear people say that they're gender non-binary, Bob, please tell them what it means.
8: So when you're a gender non binary, what that basically means you don't identify as a man, you don't identify as a woman, you um, acknowledge that gender is a spectrum and you're somewhere in the middle of it. For example, if you're listening to this and you're queer, you can use the Kinsey scale as an example. Kinsey scale says that everyone has a Kinsey number, one through six. One, Mm -hmm. you're completely straight. Six, you're completely gay. And there's a theory about the Kinsey scale that no one's a one and no one's a six. Everyone's a two to five. Anyway, if you acknowledge ideas like the Kinsey scale, you can know, apply that same idea and put it to gender as well. Yes. And for example, right now I'm wearing what am I wearing? Like like this little <laughs> like I'll, it's I'll a Captain it's um, a Captain Textile Moment. Yes, um, and I also acknowledge that my non binaryness was I I was able to tap into it because of drag, and because of you know wearing the gender line in my work life, and then. It bleeding into my day-to-day life and then me realizing that i have been pushed into this social construct of what it means to be a man or to be assigned male at birth and i was doing things simply because of the rules not yes. because i wanted to yes you and, know what i mean it's like you, and it's pressure is also the idea that we have we have a lot of these ideas put into our heads without our consent um this goes from everything to which is why I got into trouble. Oh, I'm probably about to light your podcast up. Mm. I got into trouble a couple of years ago for saying all white people are racist. Everyone got really mad at me for saying that. And wh- when I and when I say that, what I'm saying is, when you are white in America, you have racist ideologies put in your head, whether you can send it to them or not.
3: One hundred percent. And I'm going to double down on that because I'm going to just say this, and I, I think that it's fair to say. And for everybody out there listening, I also think there are black people who are racist as well, which is why we aren't acknowledging that trans lives are being affected by what's going on. So I don't think we're just talking about white people here. I think that as the black community, we have an issue with trans lives and we need to abolish that ASAP.
8: Well, I do think that the issue with trans trans lives, especially in the black community, doesn't necessarily lie within racism, but it does lie within prejudice and misogyny, specifically trans misogyny. And this is not just something for just the trans people to address or just the queer people to address. Like, we need, in this world, cisgendered, straight, black men to yes. stand up and say trans lives matter. We need Lil Wayne. We need Jay-Z. We need Wiz Khalifa. We need Waka of Flame. Where you at? And not just, like, black academics like Barack Obama and Angela Davis. We need like black. The people who influence. Cisgender, black men that are influencing. We need comedians like, uh, what's his Dave Chappelle. Who won the Oscar for Ray. Jamie Foxx.
3: Jamie Foxx. Jamie
8: Foxx. And oh, don't even give me shot. don't give me on Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is really, oh, this, this is a real blow in my system because like Dave Chappelle is someone that I've always looked up to and his comedy is so, uh, lately his comedy has been really doubling down on this idea that trans people are a joke or that trans existence is funny or that trans people just live in their lives, is funny to him. And then when Dave Chappelle, who's one of the most respected black people in comedy and in entertainment uh-huh. goes on TV or when Netflix gives him money to say, I can't stop laughing at trans people. They're just so funny. Then it validates that idea for other people and then other people double down and agree with him. When instead yes. he could use his voice to say trans people are valid and he could also still be funny within context of these things.
7: You see what I'm saying? Like, 100%. You, don't have,
8: you don't have to punch down to like your Dave Chappelle. All all of your content leading up to this year, you didn't have any misogynistic jokes in any of that stuff, and it was still successful. So why do you don't need that stuff? But also you could use your voice to stand up for those people. You could use your voice to point out discrepancies in the community against trans people specifically trans women specifically black trans women but instead just to say they're funny and i can't stop laughing
3: yes i agree with you if you're going to put me down and use me as the punchline of a joke at least validate my existence and let people know that i am here and i'm human
8: yeah so that part the, the black community we we still have a lot of work to do but that's that's I, also the gays. Don't even start on the on the queer community.
3: Don't even get. We don't even have enough time to talk about the gays. Okay, we don't uh, even. Ha- that's a whole another special, a JTS special. Yeah, with everything, I just I don't know. It's just so nuts and it's so crazy. Like to be in this time and see everyone begin this conversation that I feel like it's embarrassing that it took 2020 and it took so many lives to have people finally start this conversation. But on the other hand, I'm happy that we're doing it now and I don't have to do it in 10 years with my kids. You know what I mean? Angelica Ross, everybody.
9: Thank you for having me.
3: This is kind of sort of your year. I mean, pose. 1984 came out in 2019. So how does it feel to be at this moment knowing, you know, that you didn't really start here and that it's possible?
9: The truth of the matter is, is that I always sort of had a vision that my life would be in this place, you know? So Mm. you do have to start out with a little vision, you know, a little vision for your life. And I definitely started out for that, but it's just that being trans, Um, When I transitioned, um, the world was really trying hard to communicate to me that this was that my dreams were not possible, that I was not valuable. And so, like, but I was a theater kid. I grew up in you know the church choirs and swing choir and chorale and playing uh, piano by ear, then learning guitar and tap dancing and modern and being in um eleven years of musical theater. Like, I did all of these things and had always thought I would be performing. But when I transitioned, I honestly like. Just had to focus on survival and so you know my younger self is doing cartwheels inside my heart right now because everything you know as we say i'm taking back everything the devil stole from me
3: <laughs> because the devil will
9: steal it all yes the devil is alive yes
3: the devil is alive and i often say this on the show that you guys don't understand how hard it was to be black and gay in a very black church centric community. But now I take that back because you had it even worse than me. You were black, gay, and transitioning in that same community. What was that like for you?
9: You know, to be honest, I am so (laughs) tired of being gaslit by folks in the black community who try to act like they don't know what all the black LGBTQ people are talking about. It's kind of like in the same way where black people are really frustrated with white people who pretend to just now be uh, understanding racism or, oh my God, I can't believe this is our America. Like, hello? That's why I'm so glad that I have like the words of, you know, James Baldwin, when he talks about loving America so much that he reserves the right to critique it. And yeah. so what I decided to do as a black trans woman, I decided to be radical. And even though signs were showing I should fear black men, I told myself I will change that fear into love and I will radically love black men so much that I'm willing to, to critique them. And, and I know some people think, you know, they want to think you're man haters or you're this or you're that. No, it's just that I want to see and, and help to develop black men in our community who are able to protect all women.
3: 120 percent because i feel like when it comes to loving our own community we need to work within to love ourselves before we can make somebody else love us and see us for who we are because if if we don't see black trans women as people and we're black people then what the hell? It's the same thing with gay people. You know, I was chased. I was beaten. You know, mm-hmm, I was. Mm-hmm. my issue was ignored by my family. Like, if it's not happening, if you're not going to say it, we're not going to acknowledge it, which looking back... they're hoping it's a
9: phase.
3: They're hoping it's a phase. They're hoping that it's going to go away. They're hoping you're going to move away so that they can live their lives and you can live yours and you can be safe, but we're not going to talk about it, you know? And for a very long time when I was younger, I didn't know what it meant to be gay. So I thought I was a woman living in a man's body because I liked men and no one ever talked to me about it. So I had to figure out from HBO and from Sue Johansson on Talk Sex in Canada, what it meant to be a gay man. And it really, I could have got a better understanding of it when I was a kid, but no one sat me down and explained it to me. So I was hating myself because everybody was hating me already.
9: Well, you know, I, I and again, and I, I really do feel that there's certain things that don't need to be explained. Um, and they don't need to be explained at early ages. It's just that our is in a place right now where there's so much effort at, um, heteronormativity. Like yes. they always talk about, uh, us forcing the gay agenda or the lgbtq agenda down their throats but any of us know that like heteronormativity is like forced from preschool it's forced from preschool so if we could actually get to a place where we pull back things and stop actually because you know the people who are sexualizing our kids many times are folks who are pushing for cis heteronormativity pushing for their young kids to already have girlfriends and to kiss and you got little boosie who was hiring hookers to sleep with his child Why is he not in jail? I don't got nothing to sip right now, so I wish I did, but (laughs) because it would be just a sip. We all know that
3: influencers have taken over the world and in a space that's so congested, it could be difficult to stand out. But these women have changed the game and have upped the competition. Jackie Ina started a beauty revolution to recognize diversity in the makeup industry and the comments by celebs duo single-handedly changed the social media demographic. They changed the whole thing, the whole platform. You are truly a self-made woman in the sense that, not only did you make this by yourself, you were in the motherfucking army, which is the far left from beauty, blogging, honey, and Way far, honey, way
10: over the deep end
3: you speak up for people of color mm-hmm. in the beauty vlogging industry because there's not a lot of you.
10: You know, YouTube is very visual. Yes. So when you're on online mm-hmm. and you're scrolling through the Explore page and you're looking at people's thumbnails, subconsciously when people see a black girl or a black guy, we're talking about like four or five years ago, it's gotten a lot better and people have gotten open-minded more now. Yeah. But like back then it was like, oh, she doesn't really look like me. So why would I watch that video? Yeah. Or I would get like comments from some of my followers and they would be like non-black people and they would be like, yeah, my friends are always like, why do you watch that black girl on YouTube? Like she doesn't look like you. And it's like, think about how that translates offline as well. Like. Do you have non-black friends in your social circles? Do you engage with black people yes. in your everyday encounters at work? So and people really think like that. Whereas I feel like I don't know if it's just like a culturally like a black people thing, but like we tend to engage with everyone because we're open to it, but sometimes it's not always reciprocated.
3: No, it, it, and so exactly. yeah,
10: and so that literally translates onto YouTube and that a lot of people who you know look like me have my complexion are on the darker side they are people are looking at their thumbnail and it's beauty so everything is is visual with beauty yes. right so they want to learn how to apply a foundation but they think they have to literally watch someone who looks exactly like them doing it not for you? them to learn not necessarily not necessarily because i mean if i'm teaching you how to contour like if you already know the colors you're going to use i'm teaching you the technique yeah you know what i mean you're uh, watching me for my personality you're watching me for the technique if i'm reviewing a new skincare product why does it matter if I'm black? Like a white. It doesn't really matter, That's you know what true. I mean? Now, of course I understand to some extent, you wanna watch someone who looks like you, you wanna watch someone who relates to you, but that shouldn't be the only, you know, the only parameter for like enjoying someone's content. You yeah. know what I mean? Because like I could still teach you a thing or two about
3: your eyebrows. But by the way, y'all steal it from us anyway. For, oh yeah, yeah, of well, course, like, y'all steal of like course. course. The black of course. girl's been which, which makes for years.
10: It, yeah, which makes it like, kind of even a double edged sword because it's like black women are literally like one of the most copied and emulated people on the planet. Yes. But they don't want to consume that content from us. They want to consume it from someone else.
3: (laughs) So you would rather go to see it from the girl who learned it from me instead of just coming to the master himself. Like why would you go to Daniel's son when Mr. Miyagi is sitting right here?
10: But that's how people think. It's crazy.
3: But why do you think 3 million people tune in to your YouTube channel? Because obviously you've broken the mold. Yeah. You've obviously fought through the race situation. How did you finally get to that place? Well, which where- is
10: still present, though. Like, I still get it all the time, even at 3.2 million. Like, seriously. Like, you'd be surprised. Like, I still get people that comment on my videos and they're like, why do you always talk about race? And it's like, dude, I've been here 11 years. Like, are you not getting the Like, it's not going to like, it change. It is what it is. Like This is what's authentic to me. And I I credit much of that because it's a consistency thing. So it's always been something that I talk about. So it's always something that people have had a chance to get used to. So yeah. there's no like acclimating. Or, it's not surprising. Like I lay it all out. I have those conversations. Like when I hit a million, when I hit a million on YouTube, there was – Literally no one darker than tan that had ever done that before on YouTube. In the beauty world. Wow. I'm not talking about other genres. I'm not talking about comedy gaming. They're different. But on the beauty world,
3: how think long ago of was how this?
10: many, this was, I think I got a million in late 2016. That
3: is so embarrassing that in 2016, in 2016, that there was no one
10: darker than tan. That's crazy. In the beauty space that had hit over a million subscribers.
3: That's insane.
10: I know, but it like it happens because a lot of people are just, you know, just so closed off to like what they could open. Like they just weren't open minded. It's yeah. just very simple. They weren't open minded. And like I all I had those conversations. I, I put it out there in a the video. I was like, why is no one, you know, a, a darker than tan ever weird. hit over? It's weird. And like a lot of people were like, I mean, yeah, I never thought of. I never noticed that. And it's like, let's talk about why. You Have know? you
3: found that in the last four years? Darker people have finally oh started to come up. Oh my God!
10: Patricia Bright is, is like well over three million now. Nima Tang hit over a million. Like there are so many women that um Shalom. I think yeah, I think she hit a million as well. My fellow Nigerian sister, Shalom Black.
2: The
3: Nigerians are you. around y'all. The Nigerians She's, do not yes, around. We do
10: not play. And Peak Mill hit over a million too. She does more like hair and beauty and stuff like that.
3: So you open the door.
10: I mean, like. To me, it wasn't about, like, of course, like, who doesn't want to be the first? Like, the first is epic. But it's it's sad that you were the first. But, exactly, exactly. And to be completely honest with you, I remember the first time I ever talked about this in a video. What I said was, like, honestly, even if it wasn't me, like, I just need to see that it's possible.
3: Julie and Emma from Comments by Celebs.
6: Hi. Thanks for having us.
3: How did you guys get the idea... For comments by celebs.
6: Back in the day, if you're scrolling through Instagram, you're just looking at Kim's picture, and there's a hundred thousand comments. they they were sorted by most recent. So if yeah yeah you know if if uh, Kendall and Chris commented, you would never see those comments. And Instagram changed their algorithm to highlight verified comments. And we had kind of noticed it together. Our, our whole friend group had. And what really caught our eye the first time was we saw Courtney and Scott interacting in the comments section. We were like, wait a second this is previous knowledge, you know, that we would yeah. have, yeah, this is crazy. And the idea came to me of like, I need to make this into an account. So I had the name. I was like, common spice celebs. And I just texted Julie, literally the, the day that I had the idea, I texted her and I was like, Julie, I know this sounds kind of crazy. I'm telling you, it's going to be big. I can get someone else, but I want you to do this with me.
3: Oh my and God. Yeah, she was. And what did you say? Were you I, like, are you smoking? Are you, are you high?
6: I was
11: abroad in Tel Aviv and I was like, literally, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like I didn't think anything of it. But recently I found our text from when she first texted me about it. And it's like her texting like, okay, the name comments by celebrities. I'm like, no, no, I think comments by celebs like rolls off the tongue a little easier. And then she's like, okay, perfect. Changing it to that, like adding the even famous people, love famous people to our by. Like I found our initial text back and forth about it.
3: Yeah. Okay, send me that text. I'm gonna make wallpaper out of it so you can put it in your <laughs> new studio. <I> will. <laughs> that is the most amazing. Who was like the first celebrity to catch on? Because I feel like now that I w- look at your Instagrams and now that like I watch people, I feel like celebrities are commenting on other celebrities' f- pictures to get picked up by you guys. <laughs> I-, I swear.
6: Well, okay. The first celebrities to follow us was Andy Cohen. He followed him when we had 1,200 followers, which was insane. Wow. It was crazy. I forgot how crazy that was. We messaged him something because we did one of his posts and we were like, hey, just thought you would find this funny. And he did. And he, he followed right away. He followed, which is kind of another, was another solidifying factor that we were onto something. But I don't think it's that they're doing it to be, get picked up by us. I just think that the landscape is changing and comments make headlines, you know, like comments yes. news mm-hmm. now. And so I think- It's natural for celebrities to want to be in the the news cycle. Clearly, obviously, that's part of their whole gig. They want to remain famous. So is it for us? Maybe not. Is it for the general idea of comments making news? Probably.
3: How did comments start making news?
6: What was the first one? <laughs> I think it was a Bella Hadid
11: comment. No, he's saying. What do you mean? He's, he's saying, <laughs> like, "You
3: bitches, you bitches oh, have started oh, a trend." I didn't
11: think about us. Like that's how funny our thought process. were. I was like,
6: "Oh yeah, I think the Bella Hadid one was first. Like you met us. <laughs> we disassociate from it a, a lot. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's so crazy. You are. You were. How old when the first comment made news? Twenty what?
6: Twenty. I was twenty. I was twenty three.
3: <laughs> like you did it you did it instagram changed the way people shared photos photos then became news stories you have now ushered in a new source of news how crazy really is that is,
6: crazy. That is very crazy when you put it like that yeah thank you that's that feels yeah. really validating and very cool
3: how do you guys work together and not end up being a statistic like two friends that just fall out because they work too close together.
6: You can never say never, who knows what could happen. I just one can never envision that happening, but I think something that's different with Julie and I is that we were friends when we started this together, but we weren't as close as we are now. So it was kind of like our business relationship is really what brought our friendship to the next level. You know, when I right. asked her, when I, when this idea came to me and I asked Julie to do it with me, she was still in school. I had graduated and it wasn't like we were, you know, talking every single day as best friends, but I just knew that she would be the right person for it. And so, I don't know. I just think that the way that it happened makes it more, makes it, makes it make more sense kind of. I don't yes, know. I think it's that, that we like got closer with
11: the business, like as the mm.
2: business
11: grew. But also I think the other thing is that like the way we approach the business, which is like us behind the scenes, kind of. I don't want to say saves us because I'll never say never, you never know, but like essentially saves us from that becoming an issue because it's not like we're fighting for a spotlight. Like our business is in the spotlight, we're behind the scenes and as long as that one thing that we both care about equal amounts is growing and growing and growing, it doesn't matter what like our personal faces being out there because we don't want that at all. So it, it, I think that it saves us from that because it's not like we want different things and we're butting heads over what we
6: want. Like everything we do, we're so on the same page because we have the same goal. But also, I mean, when this was all going down, you know, we got a, we have a very hefty legal bill from a lot, a lot of paperwork that we put in place just in case. Like, you know, we were an LLC and we had a partnership agreement before we even made a dollar just because of our families wanting to make sure that that was, you know, we had our ducks in the row. And also and I'm only I'm mentioning, depending on who asked us this, I mentioned it because I feel like depending on if the host will understand, but you, I know will, will understand this. Like when this was really picking off, picking up, it was right as my mom was dying.
2: Like, uh, our, yeah.
6: our first podcast episode with Kelly Rippa, my mom had gone to Mount Sinai that day. She came, she was all kind of like drugged out from the pain meds. So it was such excitement coupled with such trauma and
3: yeah.
6: very bonding. So I feel like what we went through in the very beginning stages and not saying that that's strength to continue forever. However, it really did bond us in a way that's different. It's it's a lot of trust that I don't think would have existed without that. Obviously, I wish it was, didn't happen, but you know what I mean.
3: No, for sure. And you know, sometimes it's like odd when you start a journey with somebody because there's something that happens normally, and sometimes it's very easy to see, and sometimes it's not. But I feel like this journey between you two of you guys started at the perfect time because you needed somebody, you needed an outlet. Mm-hmm. And you needed somebody like Julie, but I have one question because I've always been kind of sort of confused about this. Yeah. And I think I know the answer and I think I'm going to have mad respect for it, but you guys are both drop dead gorgeous. (laughs) You guys both look great on camera. You guys both have such great expressions why wouldn't you put yourself on camera? Like a lot of people in Hollywood go out and create these platforms and these sources of, um, work so they can get out there and really show what they're about. Why not put yourself on camera? Why hide behind it?
11: There's like a lot of different layers to it. Um, but I think that the biggest one is a, like, we just love the idea of being the business woman behind the account and letting the account speak for itself. So like, the idea that like we can exist behind the scenes no one's mm-hmm. gonna like say anything to us no one's gonna approach us no one's gonna think of us when they think of the account specifically i think allows the account to grow in a different way maybe not as quickly maybe not as much but it definitely differently and also like the idea of removing ourselves a little bit like almost allows us to be taken more seriously in a yeah. way. But i don't know i think there's so many different things to it that we enjoy like i have to say like i really love not being on camera i think the idea of fame like to me at least has become like scarier and scarier and scarier terrifying
3: miranda hobbs that was miranda hobbs with the (laughs) most politically correct answer ever
11: oh my god
3: thank you guys so much for listening don't forget to subscribe rate and review come back next week for part two of our best of 2020